Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. I'm going to go ahead and read my text out of Romans chapter 8. Just remain standing. Um, One more acknowledgement. John Lopez, thank you for driving me home yesterday. I was in South Texas doing a funeral for a legendary cowboy in Texas, uh, Cactus Jack Stevenson. And then we got done late, and John drove me home. We drove through some kind of bad storm in Ardmore. I thought our life was over, but the Lord um, stepped in, and John did some good driving. Thank you for being here with us today, John. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 26, uh, and I'll read a few verses here. We're going to get into this today. The Bible says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, I have a question for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Say that to three or four people around you. If God be for us, who can be against us? And then you may be seated. If I could get a Kleenex from someone, please. I've been fighting this, whatever it is, for a week. Yeah, just bring the whole box take the whole box. Thank thank you, Evan. I used to love going to church where where the ladies had those. And you was preaching. (laughs) And they would say, tell it, Pastor. Come on with it. Y'all never been to churches like that? And preach in the building. And it didn't matter what you were saying. Two all beef patties. Special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on the sesame seed bun. God is good. Jesus was a master teacher. 
he was a master teacher, it tells us that he was certainly a master communicator. He used parables to teach, and the purpose of the parable was so that he would intrigue people to discover the principle of the subject that he was teaching about. Parables have this innate ability within them to lead you on toward a destination or a place of answering. And he used questions in order to put people on a quest to discover answers. An example would be when Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Who do men say that I am? And then after their response, he would return with another question. Now, who do you say that I am? And this was a leading question to get them to the place of bringing the correct answer. Paul the Apostle followed suit with Jesus' teaching. And he writes the epistle to the church at Rome, and he presents what I refer to as a boatload of questions to the church at Rome. And many times, rather than giving the answer, raising a question will force people to come to the answer. Instead of giving the answer, raise a question and let them arrive at the answer. Some questions are asked to secure information. In other words, a question like, what time did you get home? That's just pure information. Who were you with? Pure information. But a rhetorical question is really a statement intended to give the answer in the form of a question. A rhetorical question. In other words, a rhetorical question would be like this. Do dogs bark? Does a bear have hair on his back? Can fish swim? Do birds fly? Is the Pope Catholic? And this tool of teaching was Paul's choice when he addressed the church at Rome. Rhetorical questions. How many did he ask them? In Romans chapter 3, he asked 15 questions. In Romans chapter 4, he asked 5 questions. In Romans chapter 6, he asked 7 questions. In Romans chapter 7, he asked 5 questions. In Romans chapter 8, he asked 8 questions. He was interrogating them with rhetorical questions. In other words, you ought to know. Sometimes God will question you with an answer, insinuating you ought to know by now. In total, Paul asked the church at Rome 47 questions in one letter. 47 questions. Therefore, I'm going to take the liberty this morning and ask you again a rhetorical question. If God is for us, Who can be against us? There are four basic questions that we call needs 
in every person's life. First of all, the first question is concerning identity. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? The second question would come in the form of security. Do you know that everything is going to be all right? Can I submit something to you? When I was preparing last night in my spirit while John was driving us in the truck up here, Pastor Dan Anderson, it's good to see you. I love you with all my heart. Thank you for being with us today. Man of God. Um, suddenly the Holy Spirit began to deal with me about this question in the middle of that storm. Do you know everything's going to be all right? The honest answer was, I ain't real sure right now. The third question is concerning acceptance. Do you know you are loved? Do you know you are loved? The fourth question that everyone must answer is concerning purpose. Do you know why you are here? Do you know why you are here? Four basic questions that present four basic needs. Identity, security, acceptance, and purpose. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 31, I would like to show you a few things from the New Living Translation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, you're going to find three words. We don't know. In Romans 8, 27, four words. The Father who knows. In Romans 8, 28, four words. We know that God. And in verse 29, three words. For God knew. For God knew. Let's break this down and see if we can have a Holy Ghost breakout in this church today and see if somebody can catch the anointing at a level that's going to set you free. Watch this. From ignorance and deliver you into the room called understanding. Because what you understand, Jesus said, cannot be taken from you. It's not what you know, it's what you understand. And today, many of you are going to make a shift. You're going to make a transition from knowing something to understanding something. And the Bible says in Proverbs 24 that understanding establishes a house. And I really believe that too many people are living a wavering life of double-mindedness because they have not arrived at the place arrived at the place called revelation where you now understand. You don't just know, but you understand. And when you look at Romans chapter 8 verse 26, the Bible says, "Likewise, the spirit helps our infirmities for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought." Uh, point number one then would be on this wise, what we do not know, what we do not know. He does not say what we do not know how to pray. He says we do not know. He doesn't say we don't know how to pray. Jesus said this. This is how you pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus said, this is how you pray. As a matter of fact, Jesus was so adamant about prayer that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he said, when you pray. Matthew 6, 7, when you pray. 
Matthew 6, 8, when you pray. And then in Matthew 6, 9, this is how you pray. So there's an expectation from our Savior that we are a praying people. Talk back to me. That we should be praying. There's this expectation. When you pray. And he said, when you pray, this is how you should pray. There's that expectation. However, Paul said in verse 26 of Romans 8, we do not know what to pray. For as we ought, the honesty of Jehoshaphat has always amazed me. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he's facing the armies of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir. All those are spiritual entities that I could talk about. Moab meaning, meaning without father or fatherless generation. Ammon means of the people, giving the people what they want and not providing leadership. Mount Seir means goat-like, stubborn, leading stubborn people. It's always got a butt behind them. And while these armies are attacking him, listen how Jehoshaphat prays. I do not know what to do. Whenever you can arrive at a place in life and peril is around you and it seems like everything is in jeopardy and you can get honest enough with God to say, I don't know. When you can arrive at the place of saying, I don't know, get ready to see something you've never seen. Because when he said honestly in prayer, I don't know what to do. When those words came out of his mouth, Jehaziel walked in the room, a prophet, and he said, this battle does not belong to you. He said, you're going to stand still in this battle, and all you're going to do is sing that the mercy of the Lord endures forever, and this battle belongs to God. When you don't know what to do, be honest with God and say, God, I don't know what to do. And God will always send you a prophetic word. And it's usually something you did not expect. Who thought singing would win a battle? Who thought praising would win a war? But I came by to tell somebody in this room today who's going through something you do not understand. Be still and know that he is God and he will fight your battle for you. Just continue to give him praise. Just continue to sing of his mercy and let God do what only God can do. Can I get some sanctified saints in this building to talk back? Let's be honest enough to say we don't know what to do. And Paul said, we don't know how to pray. We do not know how to pray or what to pray for as we ought. Look at the next part of the sentence. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us according to the will of God. When you get to the place where you don't know what to pray, let the Holy Ghost take over. And you can't let the Holy Ghost pray if you ain't got the Holy Ghost. He said, and the Holy Ghost will make intercession for you with groanings that cannot be uttered. 
Now, I'm not talking about praying in tongues. There is a groan that'll come up out your spirit that don't have anything but a hum to it. It don't have anything but a oh to it. It comes from deep in your spirit. And what man cannot decipher, God can discern. That's why God tells Moses in, in Exodus chapter five, he said, I have heard the groaning of my people. He didn't say I heard their prayer. He didn't say I heard their words. He didn't say I heard anything like, he said I heard their groaning and I have come down to deliver them. If you can just get all God up out of you, if you can just groan out to God, God understands what you do not have the words to put together in order to express. God knows what you're going through before you even started going through it. Talk back to me. But we've got to get to a place to where we say we do not know. But I can groan. Tell your neighbor, I do not know what to pray but I can groan. I don't know what to pray but I can cry. I don't know what to to pray, but I can moan before God. I don't know what to pray, but I can give some kind of emotion, allow it to emit out of my spirit, and God has the ability to discern what I'm going through. I heard my people groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. So Romans chapter 8 says this is what we do not know. We do not know what to pray, but we got the Holy Ghost. And it, let, let me, just let me pause. I'm going somewhere with this. But let me just take a pause of Sila. Does anybody in this building have the Holy Ghost? Let me ask that question. Now, I'm not talking about just the Holy Ghost that you talk about. I'm talking about the Holy Ghost that lives like an ever-burning fire down... I'm talking about the one John talked about, that there's one coming after me that shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and an ever-burning fire. I'm talking about the kind of Holy Ghost that's set on top of your head like tongues of fire. And when you pray, you pray in the Spirit and you groan in the Spirit. Is there any Holy Ghost-filled people in this building? See, we don't talk about that no more because that's not a popular subject. We're too dignified to get snotty and teary-eyed. We want to placate you and pack, pat you on your back and tell you your best is yet to come. When you're going through hell, I ain't here to tell you it's pretty. I'm here to tell you it's ugly. And if you'll get out there and cry till your carpet is wet with your tears and you moan out to God, your spirit will take over and you're not praying anything now. You're praying according to the will of God, not your desire. Now he said, that's what we do not know. Then he turns around in verse 27. He said, 26, he says, we do not know what to pray. But 28 says, we do know that all things work together. I might not know what to pray, but I do know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are thee called according to his purpose. 
Lord have mercy. Every event in your life is either God sent or God used. If God did not send it, God's going to still use it because all things work together for your good. God takes the good, bad, and ugly and tells them start co-laboring together for my son's good. Y'all get together and start working for him. And that's why Joseph could look to his brothers in Genesis 50 and say you meant it unto me for evil but God meant it. God meant it. You meant it evil but God meant it to my good. You thought you were hurting me but you didn't know God was helping me by allowing you to do what you did to me. And some of you need to get a revelation that it don't matter what you're going through it is working for your I want you to shout it as loud as you can. God's original intention is his final decision. Paul said, I'm confident of this one thing. I learned a lot of stuff, but I'm confident of one thing. Philippians chapter 1, that he who began a good work in you shall also complete it. I don't don't care if it looks like all hell is breaking loose. God is working. Can I get a witness in this field? God is working for your good. So he says, we don't really know what to pray, but we do know God is working. We do not know what to pray, but we do know that all things work together for our good. Can I finish this word? I wasn't going to preach very long today, but I feel my help. What we do not know is what to pray. What we do know All things are working for our good, which brings us to point number three, what we are. Now, God told me this morning in prayer when I hit this, slow the train down. Slow the train down. So I'm going to slow it down. My daddy, when we were in the pickup truck and we got in mud, he called his pickup truck Lucy. And he said, now watch me when I drop old Lucy down in Grandma." I said, what's that mean, Daddy? He said, I'm going to put it in grandma gear, and we're just going to ease out of here. And sure enough, old Lucy would come on out because he slowed it down. He downshifted. And God told me to downshift on this point. So let me drop it in first. In grandma gear. We do not know what to pray. We do know, R.J., that all things are working for our good. But watch this here. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Ooh, Lord. Verse 30. And those that he did predestinate, he called. And those he called. Called, he justified. And those he justified, he shall glorify. I said, Lord, are you telling me to remind these people of their beginning? And he said, no. Remind them of before their beginning. 
Tell your neighbor you are sitting by a predestinated somebody. Yeah, I didn't come, tell them again, I didn't come from time, I came from eternity. I'm a parenthetical being, baby. When I was born, my birth certificate is when I clicked into time. When Mama hit that other certificate, she was her clock, she clocked out. Her death certificate's when she clocked out of time. She was a parenthetical being. A parenthetical being is the parentheses that God inserts into time to accomplish his will using you to do it. You live in a parentheses. You don't even belong in time. You came from eternity. That's why he said those, he foreknew those that he predestinated to predetermine, to decide beforehand a decree from eternity. Your boundaries was marked out beforehand. Your, say it another way, Pastor Rick. Your purpose was waiting for you to arrive. You did not precede your purpose. You were not born and then God give you a reason for living developed a reason and then deposited you right in the middle of that cause and that purpose. That's why people spend their whole life wandering ambiguously through years trying to figure out stuff because they never discovered that God had a preordained plan for them to enjoy is called purpose in life. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you, I knew you. Woo! Before you took your first breath on this earth, we were already in relationship. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before you came out of the womb, before you came out of the womb, I already sanctified you. Before you were born, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? You were set up before you arrived. The enemy's greatest attack against you is to forbid you from understanding that you had assignment before arrival. Some of y'all are looking at me like, oh my God, I don't know, I don't even know what this man is talking about. And that's why you jump around. You can't settle down. You can't plant. You can't fix. You, you're everywhere. You float. Tell somebody next to you, I was somebody before I got here. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All my days were written before one of them came to pass. All my days were written before one of them came to pass. It was done before I arrived. Woo! Then he said those that he did predestinate, he called. You know what that is? That is your awakening to your assignment. Now he makes it without excuse because not only did I give you an assignment, now I'm going to call you to it. 
Those he justified, he called, commanded, ordered, accosted. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who what? Called you out of darkness into revelation. Who called you out of ignorance into understanding. When God calls Samuel in that temple, Samuel, Samuel knew protocol. He went to the right place. He went to Eli. Did you call? He said, I didn't call. He went and laid down again. God called Samuel again. Samuel, he got up. Where did he go? Right to the place he's supposed to go, the priest. Protocol, spiritual authority. Did you call? He said, I didn't call. But if you, if you hear it again, say these words. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Third time, the voice of the Lord comes back to Samuel and says, Samuel, Samuel, double enunciation, urgency. And he said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. At that point, he received his assignment. There comes a point in your life where you have to surrender to God's call. you got to quit running around asking everybody else, is that God calling me? And you've got to say, God, I hear you clearly you are calling me. Here's what I'm convinced of, that God loves Samuel so much that he would still be saying Samuel until Samuel responded. Because God just don't have a double enunciation. He will call you as many times. You're going to say yes or no. I'll leave it alone. Those he did predestinate, he called. Those he called, he justified. Man. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. This is rendering righteousness. Here's the problem with the church today. We have too many self-righteous people, like you earned it. Then what is the value of grace? Pastor Dan, help me. What's the value of grace if we can justify ourselves? Why would God show grace if we could be self-righteous ourselves and be okay? My Bible tells me your righteousness is or as filthy rags in the sight of God. Righteousness and justification is something God imputes to you. It's not something you earn. Being justified freely, Romans 3.24. Being justified how? Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Verse 28 of that chapter, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, not by deeds. I heard somebody say justified means just as if the sin was never committed. Justified. I like that. Just as if it never happened. Well, you know, people are evil reminders. Who are you to remember what God forgot? You make a horrible judge because you have a real good ability to recall what God has totally erased. You're talking to God about something he don't even know about because he throws it in the sea those he predestinated, he did justify, I'm about done. 
or he called, and those he called, he justified. Now, notice something, Vicky. He did not say he predestinated, follow the progression, then he justified, then he called. It says he predestinated them, then he called them, then he justified them. Why is justification always succeeding the call? Because you're going to need just as much forgiveness after the call as you did before the call. Y'all better shame the devil, tell the truth. A man that says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. And when you ask for forgiveness, God justifies you after your call. And those he justified, he will also glorify. Ain't that just like God? When he calls you, he already sees you as a glorified individual. I can't get my mind off of Mima, Mama. She was glorified the moment she said yes. The glorification just manifested a few nights ago. That's the goal, y'all. But hey, you'll never get to glorification if you keep dismissing justification. Amen. All right, I'll stop. Nose is running, head stopped up. Tired, weary, and full of the Holy Ghost. Somebody told me the other day, Pastor, you going too much. And y'all are saying, I know what you said, Pastor. You said you would rather wear out than rust out. No, I didn't. They said, you're going too much. You know what I said? You're right. I'm going to tire somebody. Let me tell you something. If you get this word right here, don't matter how tired the preacher is, this is fresh word. If you, I ain't never preached this right here before. You get this word right here, your life will be eternally changed, and you'll begin making an impact in your life like you never. Somebody shout hallelujah right there. Man, I'm old school. I still believe in the Holy Ghost. I still believe in justification. I still believe in the call of God. I still believe we're going to be glorified. What we do not know is what to pray. What we do know, all things are working together for the good. What we are is predestinated, called, justified, and glorified. Now, I'll leave you with the last point. This is what we have. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who? Who can be against us? What we have, what we do not know, what we know, what we are, but watch this here, what we have. We have a saying, I'm going to help you with it, we have a rhetorical question. This is what we have, we have a rhetorical question. If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is in the question, Isaiah. The answer is where? In the question. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
since God is for us, the answer, getting it, Vicky, is in the question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's the answer. Since God is for us, no one can be against us. Denoting the idea, let's give it, you, give it to you in exegesis way. No one has the ability to sidetrack you from your predestination, your call, your justification, or your glorification. So who can derail you from your destiny? Talk back to me. No one can. That's the answer. No one can. So while we're preaching, I thought about rhetorical questions. Does a bear have hair on his back? Is the Pope Catholic? If God be for us, who can be against us? And I kept reading. And here he comes. He said, while I'm asking, Romans chapter 8, verse 35, not only who can be against us, but who shall separate us? Tell your neighbor, while I'm asking questions, who can separate us from the love of God? You can separate me from your love. You can be a hater of me for the rest of your life. I don't care. But what you can't separate me from is the love of God. While I'm asking questions, who shall separate us from the love of God? Let your haters be haters. Quit chasing haters. Quit trying to win over people that don't like you. Love them from a distance. Talk back to me. What they cannot do is make God stop loving you. They can stop. But they can't make him stop. Woo! You know why you love God? Because he first loved you. Let me give you a little testimony. Sit on down. We're going to run around in a minute and jump these chairs. I'm just kidding. Well, let me show you something. Yesterday, I had the privilege of doing a memorial service for a man I met in 2003. I told you he's a legendary cowboy in Texas. He's probably one of the most famous cowboys in all of Texas history. When I rolled up on his ranch in 2003, he walked out that door with a starch khaki shirt, starch jeans, big old belt buckle, looked like the size of a medallion. And I'd never seen this man before in my life. And he said, Brother Rick Hawkins. I said, Hello, Cactus Jack. He said, you drove all the way down here to meet me? I said, yes, sir. He said, come on in here and let me introduce you to Marty. We're going to have us a glass of sweet tea. And we walked inside, and he ain't have nothing but Tupperware cups. We sat there and drank sweet tea out of Tupperware cups. Tupperware cups. Tupperware cups. 
you ever had a Tupperware tub, you ought to try it. We sat there drinking that tea, and he said, Brother Rick, before you leave, you reckon you, reckon you can pray for me and old Marty? Old Marty is his wife. I said, I'd be honored to, sir. I prayed for him, and that was the beginning of a relationship that lasted all these years. Old Cactus Jack. He owns Cactus Ropes, built churches. Man, legendary. One of the greatest team ropers ever in history. And as we were going down to that memorial service yesterday, I kept asking myself, why do I love this old cowboy so much, Mike? You know why I loved him so much? Just for the same reason that I loved your mama so much. They come from the same cloth, same fabric. See, your mama loved me without asking anybody any questions. She just loved Pastor Rick. And it was easy to love her back. You following me? Jack Stevenson, when I left that ranch today, I, I arrived with a cutting horse, and he laughed at that. He said, we don't cut down here, son. We rope. And I left with a roping horse. And he said, I'm going to give you that horse, and he's going to teach you to rope. And that horse was good. His name was Maestro. Going somewhere with this. And I realized yesterday, Jack loved me before he knew me. It's easy to love people that love you without qualifying you. Are y'all following me? You know why you love God? John the Apostle said we love him because... He first loved us. Ask yourself again, who shall separate me from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, you, every, one, every one of these you need to holler, no. Will tribulation, no. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, Sword, nothing. Things to come, things present, things to come, principalities, powers, nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Can you say amen to that? Now that's what you have. You have the love of God. And God loves you with an eternal love. I'll stop. I'll, I'll close this down. But I want you to know today, I came to this church to tell you, everything is going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. You might not know what to pray, but you know all things work together for you good. You know what you are. You're predestinated, you're called, you're justified, you're glorified. What you have is this saying, this rhetorical question, what can separate me from the love of God? What you have is this rhetorical question. If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's stand, please. Would you lift your hands, please? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If you say, Pastor Rick, I sure needed this word today. With what I'm going through in life right now, I needed this word. Would you come to the altar?